as the crow flies on the Vance Crow Podcast. Steve Brewer, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Vance. So you are in Iowa right now, and you and I met just a few months ago because you run a company called The People's Company, which does land dealing. So you you buy and sell, help people buy and sell land. And I met you because you run probably the most intriguing, uh, thought-provoking conference that I've ever been to in the United States, Canada, anywhere. And uh, when you and I had a chance to talk on the phone I thought, man, Steve would be a very interesting person to have on the podcast. So I'm, I'm glad you're here, man. Yeah, glad to be here and appreciate the comments on the Land Expo. So tell um, people that have never met you before a little bit about the People's Company and uh, what, what it is by doing land real estate. What does that even mean? Yeah, really anything that touches a land transaction we're involved in. So we, we sell farmland, both listings and auctions. Uh, we appraise farmland, we manage farmland for absentee landowners, and then we work with a lot of institutional capital that wants to allocate uh, money to farmland, and we help them do due diligence and acquire farmland and then manage it on an ongoing basis. So anything that touches a farmland transaction we're involved in, uh, we're based here in Iowa, but we do business in about 22 states around the, the country. So in all the major agricultural production areas, we, we have a presence. So... I'm just going to jump right into it because you have an insight into some stuff that I think is going to be very important. It may not be really important right away, but I think it's going to happen fast. And that is the, the I just saw a bill floated for over two trillion dollars to enter the economy. You know, it's going to come from basically nowhere, whether we're going to print it or uh, issue it as bonds, whatever it is. But a whole bunch of money is going to flood into the system. And where is that money going to go? What is it going to do? Do you think it's going to impact the price of land? Yeah, inevitably it will. Um, you know, farmland is, is where people park money. It's an inflation hedge um, long term. And, and so when you when you look at the 10-year treasury rate and you look at the amount of capital that's out there, uh, people are looking for real assets. They're looking for a safe place to put money and whatnot. And inevitably that'll translate into higher farmland values. Now, you've got to live to get there first. And so we're uh, right now we're in more of a liquidity crunch as, as people sit on their hands and they're nervous and they're waiting to figure out where they want to go with their money. Uh, but as you study history, um, inevitably, more monetary policy, more money into the system, lower interest rates will lead to higher land values. So you must have had deals going on that should be closing today, right? What happened to all that stuff that was going on? Yeah, so far, we um, this is a busy time of year for us. So we do about 70% of our business from September to March. And those transactions that were in the system, so to speak, are continuing to move forward and close. Uh, one of the issues we are running into is that some of the county recorders are shutting down. So you're unable to record mortgages and record um, uh, deeds and whatnot. Um, so that's been a tricky, tricky thing. In Iowa, for instance, the governor came out and said the real estate industry is an essential industry. And so we're able to continue continue to, to move some of those transactions forward. Uh, but uh, purchases that were being negotiated, uh, we're seeing buyers feel like, hey, maybe I can get out of my agreement in some cases, or maybe I can retrade the agreement and try to get a little better deal. And so those are getting handled on a one-off basis. Probably the bigger issue for us is that we conduct a lot of farmland auctions, and that's how uh, a lot of our farmland gets traded. And so I think we've got about three farm auctions scheduled here in the next 30 days. And we had one last Friday. And you know traditionally, that's when everybody shows up. You've got the coffee and rolls. You have a room 
full of 150 people and the, the farming community comes together and, and bids on the sale. And we've had to move those to an online only format so that people can still participate in the sale. And so the big call for us was, do you cancel those auctions and wait and do those later? Or do you move forward with the sale? And so we had a uh, our first sale since this crisis started last Friday, uh, moved it to an online auction only and had a really successful outcome. We had 20 registered bidders online and, and the farm sold well. And so I think that's where we're going to head here for the short term is to continue to move move our auctions onto that platform and continue to have them. Who do you think right now is more eager to come to the table? Is it buyers or sellers? Who, who's who's right now in, this, in the time of uncertainty? Gosh, that's a great question. You know, everybody reacts differently to this. Um, we had an old boy call one of our guys in the office last week and said, hey, stock market's on sale. I've got 80 acres. So I want to sell that thing and bring some, some money to the stock market. On the flip side of that, you've got folks that look at farmland as a safe haven, and they've seen you know, the S&P lose two, $2 trillion over the last few weeks. And, you know, farmland, you know, isn't immune to financial crisis, but um, it's hard to imagine farmland lowering in value 30% over, you know, a two week period and whatnot. So there's, there people will react differently. You're going to have people that say, you know, my farmland's performed well, the rest of the world's on sale. I want to move out of farmland and go buy other things cheap. Um, you're going to have other people that say, you know, I just lost a ton of money and equities and you know now i just want a safe place to have my money and they'll want to move into farmland so a lot of it's the type of capital you have the stage of life you're in uh, how you react to that situation i know you're a broker so you're kind of sitting in the middle and helping people meet one another but what are you doing with your money right now you know, I'm, I'm definitely not afraid of farmland. And, you know, these are the types of environments where, you know, you see opportunities that otherwise wouldn't have existed. And, you know, back in 2008, uh, during the financial crisis, you know, the people that were bold and brave and, and could look past the headlines and could understand, you know, a good deal from a bad deal uh, made a lot of money. And so, you know, history would tell you that when you get into some of these challenging environments uh, to, to, you know, look at the long term and, and don't be afraid to jump in so um you know i'm i'm um continuing to expand people's company we've we've hired seven new people that'll start over the next two weeks oh you're kidding no way no no, yeah, and, and again, history will tell if that's the right right decision or not. But um, you know, we're on a we're on a growth trajectory, and we're seeing our plan through. And and so, um, you know, we're we're optimistic and bullish about the future. So tell me about it, uh, what it's like to be taking on employees. You have a huge company of people that are deeply loyal to your to you and your business and how you guys work. What does it feel like to be leading a company of people that say? Hey, if if Steve doesn't come through for me, it's not a great job market right now. You know that 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 is something that I hadn't fully uh, felt until here. Uh, we had a company-wide conference call yesterday to just talk about what the company strategy is and communicate that to the folks that that work here and whatnot. And you know, we've told the folks working is completely voluntary. You can work from home, uh, but we've got about a hundred. Uh, uh, folks that work here at People's Company, and so you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty around employment right now for a lot of folks, and so we wanted to provide our folks some certainty that hey, 
we're we're moving forward and and we're going to continue to uh, keep the payroll going and whatnot. And but yeah, it's it's there's a lot of pressure there uh, if you don't have a strategy. The the good news for us is that this is actually a slow time of year. I mentioned earlier, uh, September to March is when the majority of our transactions happen, and so this is the time of year where we're you know doing business development. We're getting our house in order for the next season and whatnot. So if there was a good time of year for the world to stop and the 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 music to to stop it's now and so um so we we've got just a ton of work that we're doing and and uh we're building uh new software and new tools and whatnot to use within the business and and so we're just moving all those initiatives forward right now so i say this uh not lightly uh you are the most well-networked person i think i've ever met in my life when i uh went out uh, to dinner with your group of people that you had invited to the people's company i was astounded by the level of scientific knowledge that you had people that have extreme expertise one of the examples i use is one of the guys i gave a ride to the airport um after leaving your conference was a guy that uh, measured how quickly warm air flows out of a valley uh, or cool air flows out of a valley in the morning so that you can get more heat units so you can grow more grapes there, right? That is a very rare individual, which means you have access to people that view the world differently. And I know you're a guy that's reaching out, calling, talking with people. What are you hearing out there from your network, from the people that you are connected with that you're not hearing in the regular news? Yeah, I, you know, I, like we talked about, you know, you, you've got to really think about how you're going to operate your business and what you're going to do with your own money and how you're going to take care of your own family and whatnot. And so like everybody, I'm scared, you know, and, and so I've reached out to people, including you, people that I trust and know and respect and, and really tried to seek opinions. And we work with a lot of financial partners that, you know, you would call smart money and, and folks that you really trust how they would behave in times like this. And so, you know, the last four or five days, all I've done is just sit on the phone and call folks and ask questions about how they're viewing the world and what they're doing and whatnot. And this is really, this is really unprecedented, right? And, um, you know, a lot of folks, there's an old saying, um, there's no new lessons, just new people learning them. And, this, <laughs> and, and I've always practiced that, but this might be the one time where there are new lessons being learned right now. This is, this is truly unprecedented. And so, um, so I've tried to reach out to folks and, and, and get their opinions and whatnot. And, you know, the, the reality is, um, you know, you, you can only be so negative and you've got to believe and be optimistic that, um, the, that something's going to change here. Right. And, and we do know that the government is not going to let the economy fail, or they're at least going to try to not let the economy fail. And they're going to, they're going to pump money into the system. And that goes to your prior point, uh, that farmland values ultimately long-term, um, are, you know, you probably should be bullish because you're, you're going to have a large money supply chasing an asset class that has one to 2% turnover and money's going to be cheap. Now on the flip side of that, um, you know, what people aren't talking about so much right now is the price of crude. And uh, in our world, that's a huge thing. So commodity prices are traditionally tied to crude prices. So last week, crude was trading around 20 bucks a barrel. So, you know, everybody and for the news, people that don't follow it, what is that in relative? What was it a year ago? Gosh, you know, and I don't follow it daily, but it was probably 70, 80 bucks a oh, barrel geez. a year ago. Holy jeez. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, there's, you know, the Russian and the Iranian governments and whatnot, they're, they're, um, you know, pumping oil, trying to destroy each other's, uh, you know, economies and whatnot. And then you're ultimately the, um, the renewable industry in the U.S. is really who's going to suffer here. And so you're seeing ethanol plants close down and whatnot. And so, you know, as ethanol plants close down, that's going to kill corn demand. So we were already fighting through tariffs uh, prior to the coronavirus. So you've got the tariff issue, then you throw the coronavirus in there, and then you throw in cheap crude. And it's it's a pretty negative outlook right now for for commodities. And so traditionally, when you, when you have cheap money, the 10-year treasury at zero, that's bullish for farmland. But farmland's also tied to commodity prices, which are tied to crude. So you have kind of these competing interests here. And that's where I say it's unprecedented. It's hard to really see or understand exactly how that's going to play itself out. Um, you know, the dollar strengthening, but, um, um, you know, a stronger dollar is usually not positive for commodity prices. And, and so as you have this global demand constru- uh, destruction relative to the coronavirus, that's negative for commodity prices. So I don't, I don't have all the answers here. Um, it's, it's, like I said, it's unprecedented. It's going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds. But my intuition is just the money supply is going to trump everything because there's just going to be so much money um, chasing um, safe assets. And that's what farmland represents. Yeah. The, I mean, the the idea of putting so much money in there, it's, it's interesting to imagine people are going to have access to making deals that they likely have not been able to make before. That If they had gone to a bank uh, two weeks ago, the bank would have said no way. But now there is so much pressure on those banks to get money out to keep the credit markets from freezing up, locking up. It's it's a it's a weird time. And in an inflationary period, the debtor wins, right? If you cut out the value of the dollar and you've taken on a huge amount of debt, it's that's the thing. As a guy, I'm on, I'm on the board of directors for a bank that's trying to make solid, sound decisions. And uh, it's it's hard because if you think inflation is coming, then you have to say, do do we want to be putting more money out into the market when it's going to be worth less in the future? Yeah, in fact, I got a letter yesterday from one of the lending institutions we do business with, unsolicited, unprovoked, just said, hey, um, uh, we are going to suspend any principal payments on any outstanding loans. And so it wasn't you know, subject to hardship or anything. It was just one of those letters that said, if you don't need to make principal payments. And so, of course, I'm going to show that to all my banks now um, that, that we've had one do that. But um, yeah, un- unprecedented times. And it's really hard to know. Uh, the intuition is that because of cheap money and this this trillion dollars getting pumped in the system, that that's going to be inflationary. And on the flip side of that, what if it's not right? Um, and and so as you think about commercial real estate, for instance, um, you know my expectation three weeks ago when you started to see interest rates come down and money come into the system, I thought cap rates and commercial real estate would compress and commercial real estate values would go up as a result of that cap rate compression. Well, the reality is if your tenant can't pay rent, it really doesn't matter what the cap rate is because if your income stream was destroyed, then your cap rate could be five or it could be nine. But if there's no income there being collected, then the cap rate's irrelevant. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that we need to be cautious to just not assume just because there's massive amounts of money coming into the system that everything's going to f- inflate because the world's fundamentally changed now, right? The, the income streams with businesses. And then as we talk about 
about agriculture, if you if you um, destroy ethanol demand, or if if the tariffs continue with China and you've destroyed soybean demand, then um, even though cap rates have compressed, that doesn't mean that values will go up. And so, just a a small side note, uh, in farmland in 2013, that's when the farmland values peaked in the Midwest. And and that's when we had $6 corn and we had cheap interest rates and whatnot. Uh, so here we are seven years out of that commodity cycle where we're more in that $3 corn environment and cash rent rates have came down. Well, farmland values haven't came down to the degree that many people thought. And that's because if you lower rental rates by 50 bucks an acre, but you also lower your return expectation on your your farmland by say 50 basis points, your your farmland value rel- stays relatively the same. And so a lot of people thought farmland values would fall further than they have, but what saved us is that cap rate compression. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out here over the next six to 12 months. Yeah, I have a good friend that was uh, right, re- I think maybe 15 days out from signing on a multi-unit apartment complex. And, uh, and then this came into the market. So you got to ask yourself, do I want to readjust just like you were saying but then you have this added thing of you are not allowed to evict people that aren't paying their rent so what happens if you're in the commercial real estate area and it's not even that you don't you know nobody wants to evict somebody you want to keep your tenants in there but now you're not allowed to now you've just become uh somebody that is paying money into the system it's gonna be very very difficult to to pull that out yeah, no, that's pretty wild. And and I saw, you know, you know there's um, some moratoriums on foreclosure and whatnot now. So if you're a bank, do you want to loan money to somebody who you may not be able to foreclose on? And um, anytime you get the government in the middle of this stuff, I mean, it inevitably screws up the system. And so what you're describing is really scary. The biggest flip for me from when we last saw each other in January was that, uh, you know, I I work for Monsanto, and so I got to see the value of large-scale, efficient agriculture. And, uh, you know, the kind of popular sentiment is that that's bad, and then people don't really like Monsanto. And so when I got in there, I saw the huge value of having these enormous, efficient, um, effective farms. But now that the, the economy has gone the way that it is, I am damn glad there are some people out there that had free-range chicken, small gardens, things like that, because I, I ended up going out and contacting farmers and having them deliver boxes of meat to me because, to me, the, the, I don't want to wait around in the line for the grocery store. So there's going to be a value change there somewhere uh, that isn't right now in the system, I don't think. Yeah, that that may be the silver lining. I mean, you know, I think folks are recognizing um, that the food supply is pretty delicate, right? And and so I think the fact that we can all go to the grocery store and buy whatever we want on demand whenever we want. A lot of grocery stores were open 24 hours a day. Um, I, I think that's the silver lining here is that people are starting to understand that where their food comes from is really important and having access to cheap quality food is really important. And there was already this movement from the consumer where consumers wanted to know the story where their food came from how it was grown how it was produced and whatnot and and so now we're seeing um, folks that you, you know you watch the social media um, post and whatnot folks that are buying half a cow half a pig you know local 
locally grown um, eggs and whatnot. So I, I think that's one of the silver linings as we come out of this, that more people will be more interested in supporting locally produced things where they can control their supply chain and they won't be subject to the disruptions we've seen here over the last couple of weeks. A hundred percent. So uh, I've got two last questions for you. The first one is the one I ask everybody and you can't dodge it. You got to give it a shot, which is where do you think the world will be in two weeks? You know, um, that's a that's a fascinating question. Obviously, the president yesterday made some comments about, um, you know, the cure can't, you know, can't be worse than the than the problem. Right. And so, you know, the president's laid his his cards on the table and said, you know, the economy is going to be back in two weeks, whether you like it or not. And that's that's evoked a lot of emotion uh, from a lot of people on on, the, on those comments. But um you know, I, I think two weeks from now, um, you know, you can't slow this economy down. You can't slow down the entrepreneurial spirit of folks. Um, you know, it's just been amazing to see how quickly restaurants have converted to um, to go services and, and, you know, companies have converted to mobile, um, you know, conference calls and whatnot, like we're doing right now, uh, laptops and, and so you know, it's going to be hard to shut this economy down. And, and, um, I think two weeks from now, we'll look back at this and, and, um, and this was going to be a, a, one of those moments in life that we all talk about, you know, we all remember where we were when nine 11 happened and we're all going to remember this, you know, coronavirus outbreak for a long time. Um, but the reality is, um, people want to, people want to work, people want to support their families, people want to do well. And, and, uh, you know, two weeks from now, I think we'll, we'll be, you know, full speed ahead, uh, recovering from this, hopefully. And, and you, you'll be doing that with all this new monetary policy behind you as well. And so, um, you know, again, the, the smart money folks that I talked to, you know, first quarter GDP growth was great. Second, third quarter is obviously going to be down, but you get this monetary policy and this money printing press behind us here. Um, you know, I think, you know, you end the year with positive GDP growth. And, and, uh, that's, that's hard to envision when folks are talking about 20, 30% unemployment right now in the short term, but hopefully this is a short term blip and, and, uh, everybody's charging forward after this, man, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that I sit from maybe more of a sociology perspective and I, and I look and say, not only is the Overton window kicked open wide open where there's all kinds of possibilities that can come out. I think that a crisis like this pushes people out to the more radical ideas. And I think within two weeks, you know, we're going to know whether or not uh, those that window closes back up and we go back to normal ideas or if people are saying, hey, I want to see some large changes to the way the world works. And now's the time to do it because everybody, you know, chaos is a ladder and, and people are trying to take opportunities. But I'm I'm glad to hear your perspective because that hopefulness is uh one that's hard to have when you're just sitting in your house all, all by yourself and, uh, and um, yeah, kind of secluded from the world. So the final thing is, and I'm going to try and get this out in time that it can be of value to, to my listeners. You have um, an economist coming on to talk today. Why don't you talk a little bit about your what you're planning on your phone call today and how can people listen in if they want? Yeah, we're doing a conference call on land values and how this um, uh, coronavirus is going to impact land values. So that's going to be at 10 o'clock central today. If you follow on the People's Company social media channels, there will be call and instructions there. And this was organized last Friday afternoon. One of our former 
uh, Land Expo speakers, Mark Dotzer from Texas A&M. Uh, we probably had him on the program three or four times. He's just really insightful. He's entertaining. Um, got lots of great data and whatnot. And so Mark and I were talking, again, one of those people I reached out to, uh, we were talking Friday, ended up talking for 90 minutes about, you know, the economy and, and what's this mean for farmland values. And I said, Mark, wouldn't this be great if we could just record this conversation and, and let other po- folks listen to us talk and whatnot. And so that's exactly what we're doing. That, that call is going to be, like I said, at 10 o'clock uh, central today. Eric O'Keefe with the Land Report is going to moderate the call. And uh, we'll post the, uh, the recording of that on our social media channels as well if you aren't able to hop onto the call. Sure. And as soon as that's done, I'll, post, I'll pop a link into, uh, into wherever I post this. Steve, I know you are one of the busiest human beings I know. Thank you so much for chatting. And uh, as things unfold, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have you back on again. I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about coronavirus perspectives. So stay safe. Keep your employees uh, going strong. And thanks for doing what you're doing, man. Thanks, fans. It's always a pleasure. Talk to you later.